Wasn't that great this morning? Thank you, Bill. When they said anybody could come up, I think it bit anybody but me. So, uh, anyway, have your Bible. You can turn to Genesis 1-1 this morning. We're continuing our apologetic series. Do you know why you believe what you believe? And over the past two Sundays, we've answered the question, how, how can we know God exists? And this morning and next week, we're going to answer the question, doesn't science disprove the existence of God? When people ask this question, the question they're usually asking is, hasn't the theory of evolution replaced the creation story? They're asking, hasn't evolution disproved that the Bible is true and therefore disproved Christianity? And the short answer is absolutely not. Many people think science and the belief in God and Christianity contradict each other. However, I believe the exact opposite is true. I believe that science and Scripture do not contradict each other, but that they complement each other. And when it comes to the creation of the universe, there are four questions that must be answered. When did creation take place? Who is responsible for creation? How did creation take place? And why did creation take place? And whereas science seeks to answer the questions when and how, Scripture primarily seeks to answer the questions who and why. If you want to think it like this, science deals with physical truth. The world that we see, the world that we feel, the world that we experience and observe. But Scripture primarily deals with redemptive truth and theological truth and vital issues relating God to humanity like reconciliation and restoration and redemption and salvation. And even though the Bible is not a science book, science affirms the truth of Scripture and never contradicts it. Isaiah 40, 22, it says he sits enthroned, meaning God, above the circle of the earth. Its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. Do you hear what God wrote in Isaiah? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. God says the earth is round. How many years did it take them to discover that the earth was round? All they had to do was look at Isaiah 40, 22. And God told them it was round. There has never been and never will be a scientific discovery that disproves the existence of God or contradicts Scripture. In fact, the more science discovers, the greater the complexity of the universe. The greater the complexity of the universe, the greater the proof of a creator or an intelligent designer, and that creator and that designer is God. You can believe in science and in God. It's not one or the other. And in fact, it should be both because science simply proves how great our God is. There are many scientists today who are Christians. And they see no conflict between what they believe as scientists and what they believe as Christians. Author Stephen Gawkroger said science and Christianity are different. They answer different questions, but there's an important point of similarity Both are based on faith. And since we can't see God, 
Believing in him and his word, we know it takes faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. It takes faith to believe in God. It takes faith to believe in Scripture. Also, but I don't know if you realize it or not, but science is based on two presuppositions that can't be scientifically proven and have to be accepted by faith. The first is that the universe is an orderly place which works on a uniform, regular basis. And we talked about that over the past couple of weeks. And science knows this. But science can't scientifically prove the source of the fine-tuning of the universe. The second presupposition is that information received by our senses and minds is an accurate picture of the universe. And this statement cannot be proven scientifically either. And if these statements aren't accepted by faith, There is no reason for scientific research. Based on these two statements, we see how science is limited and only can be concerned with the how or the method of creation and not the why or the reason for creation. In other words, science has no answer as to why the universe came into existence. Science has no answer as to the explanation for scientific laws and why they never change. Science can't explain the orderliness of the universe. Science can't tell us why our minds exist and why it functions as it does. Science can't explain the principles of morality. Science can't answer life's deepest questions. You see, the purpose of science is to discover physical and observable truth. But if all truth is from God, which it is, wherever we discover truth, that truth is from God. And the issue is not with the Bible. The issue is not with science. But the issue is with the interpreters of each. And we are not to ignore science. We are not to be afraid of science. In fact, we should embrace it as science does not disprove the existence of God, but actually points to the existence of God. And this morning and next week, I want to unpack the four questions about creation as we read Genesis 1-1. So hopefully you've realized I'm not making it through all four points today, unless you want to be here for an hour and a half. So so we're going to do half today and half next week. So Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth. The first question I want to deal with this morning is when did creation take place? Scripture says creation took place in the beginning. And the question becomes when was in the beginning? Now there are two schools of thought when it comes to the age of the earth. Some say billions of years. That's known as an old earth. Others say uh, it's 6,000 years or so old. That is a young earth. And the question we have to ask ourselves, which is it and does it really matter? I personally believe in a young earth, and let me say it does matter. And one of the pieces of evidence pointing to a young earth is the genealogies in Genesis 5 to 11. It's been calculated that the time period of those genealogies spans 6,000 years. The other piece of evidence is the use of the word yom in Genesis 1. Yom is the Hebrew word that is translated day. 
And we can determine how Yom should be interpreted in Genesis 1, 5 through 2, 2 by comparing the context to the word's usage elsewhere in Scripture. And what we need to realize is the best interpretation of Scripture is Scripture itself. And Scripture is always consistent. And the word Yom is used 2,301 times in the Old Testament. Outside of Genesis 1, Yom plus a number is used 410 times and almost always indicates an ordinary 24-hour day. We also have to look at the use of the word in Exodus 29 to 11. If you turn to Exodus 20 verses 9 through 11, this is when God is giving the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel. He says in verse 9, You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the foreigner who is within your gates. For the Lord made the earth and the heavens. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. He rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. In that passage, the word yom means six literal 24-hour days. God was telling the Jews they were to work six days. Why? Because he had worked six days. If God meant the Jews were to work six literal days because he only worked six long periods of time, God would have used one of the Hebrew words for an indefinite time period. There are words in Hebrew besides yom that mean an indefinite time period. God, however, in this passage, chose to use the only Hebrew word for a 24-hour day. And then there's the flood. A flood of the magnitude recorded in Genesis 6 through 8 would produce exactly the kind of complex geological record that we see worldwide today. It is the flood that's responsible for most of the rock layers and fossils. And those that claim to be evolutionists, if that is the case, they can't claim the the earth is billions of years old. And to believe that in an old earth as secular science do, it undermines the teaching on death. It undermines the teaching on God's character because to accept millions of years of death before the fall of man, it contradicts and destroys the Bible's teaching on death and the redemptive work of Christ. As Scripture makes it very clear that death did not enter the world until sin entered the world. Romans 5.12 says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for every one sinned. So you can't believe in an old earth and believe that death occurred before Adam was introduced to the world. If that is the case, you are saying sin entered the world before what God called What God said sin was caused by, which is death. If you believe in a young earth and six literal days of creation, this would mean that sin entered the world first, and then death entered the world, which is exactly what Scripture teaches. This would also mean that dinosaurs would not have existed and died before man, because they couldn't have if death hadn't entered the world yet. And that means that dinosaurs were on the earth at the same time that man was. Unfortunately, there are some Christians who hold to what is called theistic evolution. They look to Darwin and evolution for the when and the how of the universe. 
But they turn to Scripture to the who and the why. They believe in God, but believe He started or directed the evolution process. And one who holds this view believes that God's an incompetent creator. One who holds this view would say that God is the cause and author of death and suffering. And it calls into question God's word and His character as an all-powerful and loving God. One who holds to the view of theistic evolution twists Scripture and weakens biblical doctrine and truth. There are also some Christians who hold to what is called the gap theory. And this is an attempt to try to reconcile the biblical account of creation with scientific theories of how the universe came into existence. And what the gap theory does, it tries to solve the dilemma of the age of the earth by saying the Bible gives only one verse to original creation, and that's Genesis 1-1, which could have happened thousands or millions or billions of years ago. And what is being described in the rest of Genesis 1 is a much more recent creation or a recreation. You see, proponents of the gap theory believe that Genesis 1-1 is the only verse in Genesis that is dedicated to original creation. And then between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 was the fall of Satan. And then they believed Genesis 1-2 when God says the earth was formed and without void. That is the description of God having destroyed his first creation. And then Genesis 1-3 is following is a recreation. To hold this view would mean that the six days of creation in Genesis 1 would really be describing the six days of recreation instead of the original work of God. But a huge issue with the gap theory like theistic evolution is that it also requires that creation suffer death and destruction before Adam's fall. This would attribute sin to entering the world through Satan instead of Adam, as Adam would be part of the recreation. Again, this is not possible as the only reason death entered the world was because of the sin of Adam, not the sin of Satan. Yes, Satan sinned in heaven. Yes, he was kicked out of heaven. But his sin did not cause the sin of man. Adam's sin caused the sin of man. And so you may say, well, where does the fall of Satan come into play? That's not the the discussion today, but it happened between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. And so you may be thinking, when, when creation took place, does it really matter? Does it really matter if I believe when creation took place? Yes, it does. Because what is at stake is the authority of Scripture, the character of God, the doctrine of death, and the foundation of the gospel. And if you adopt theistic evolution or even the gap theory, you are accepting the foundation of humanistic world views. You see, it comes down to what you choose to, to speak truth into your life and what you choose to be the authority in your life. And the question is, are you allowing unproven scientific theories espoused by the, by the news media and social media and textbooks and teachers and college professors to speak into your life and be your authority? Are you allowing God's Word to speak into your life and be your authority? And for us as believers, I really don't think it's a choice at all. Because God's inspired and errant and infallible Word must be our ultimate authority from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. 
not the unstable foundation of human reasoning. And we have to decide, are we going to fit our interpretations of the world into Scripture? Or we're going to read into Scripture what we want it to say, which is very, very dangerous. Because that means we are attempting to change God's Word. Or will we simply let God speak for Himself through His Word? And will we take God at His Word? Another issue that arises is that if the early chapters of Genesis are not true literal history, the rest of Scripture is undermined. What sense does it make to believe in and trust in God when it comes to the virgin birth and the crucifixion and the resurrection, but not trust God when He tells us He created the world in six days? If we can't trust the first chapters of Genesis, why should we believe Scripture when it says that faith in Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation? We might as well disregard Romans 10, 9 that says, If you confess your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God is raised from the dead, you will be saved. We must disregard Acts 4, 12 where God said that Jesus is the only name under heaven by which men can be saved. We must disregard Jesus' own words in John 14, 6 when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. If we can't trust the first chapters of Genesis, why would we trust the rest of his word? If we can't trust the first chapters of Genesis, why should we hold on to the promises of God and trust him? You see, God's word is not something you can believe what you want to believe and not believe what you don't want to believe. If you trust God and trust His Word, you believe it all. Scripture says also with God, nothing is impossible in Luke one thirty seven when the angel appeared to Mary. If we truly believe that nothing is impossible with God, we can't say God can't create the world in six literal days. Because to say this would be to limit the power of God whose power is limitless. And if we say God can't do something, then we, are, then, then we are really saying there are some things God can't do. We're saying that God can't do anything and that we don't believe in the God of the Bible as this goes against His character and His Word. And if you have not been to the Creation Museum in Petersburg, Kentucky, only about an hour and a half from here, it is worth the trip. As you can see for yourself that there is scientific evidence, which I don't have time to go through today, that points to the creation happening around 6,000 years ago in six literal 24-hour days. You can even Google Answers in Genesis website and search for evidence or proof of a young girl. Now before I leave this topic, there, there may be some conservative Christians who don't believe in evolution who will say, well, each day in Genesis 1, couldn't it represent an indefinite period of time, like six different acts of a play? If this was the case, I think God would have chosen a different word to use in Genesis 1 rather than the Hebrew word that means a literal 24-hour day. Also, to espouse this view runs to, to the issue of limiting God's power. And also, you have animals roaming the earth many, many many years before man was even created. You see, the bottom line is, is when we take Scripture as written, I believe it's clear that the earth can't be more than a few thousand years old. And from a biblical worldview, 
And from the scientific evidence, I believe they both would say that is the case. So it does matter what you believe about when what the beginning was. Because it affects whether or not you believe the rest of Scripture. It affects whether or not you believe that God is a God who can do anything. The second question I want to answer this morning is who is responsible for creation? You say, well, this is a no-brainer. Well, it is for most people. You see, there had to be a cause for the universe to come into existence, as I've said before. Time had to have a beginning. And secular scientists agree that the universe could not have come from nothing and that it has not always existed. It had to have a cause. It had to have a beginning. There had to be a cause that had no cause to cause creation to come into existence. Let me say that again. There had to be a cause that had no cause to cause creation to come into existence. And we only have two choices, God or the Big Bang Theory. And even if the Big Bang happened, which I do not believe it did, there had to be a cause for it. Someone had to create the ball of atoms and molecules and gases that the universe was before it was exploded. And there is really only one answer to how creation came into existence. And that is God who has always existed. He is the one who created the universe, creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing. In Genesis 1-1, Scripture says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Heavens and the earth refer to the entire universe because in biblical Hebrew, there is no word for universe. And this was, the way, uh, this was Moses' way of expressing to us that God created everything in the universe. And Moses is making it very clear that God created everything there is out of literally nothing. And here God is called the divine name Elohim. There are two main words for God in Scripture. One is Yahweh, which is the personal name of God. That God gave himself to the Israelites to call him, which we do not see until Exodus chapter 3 when, when Moses was at the burning bush and God was calling Moses to go and free his people and Moses kept saying no. And God said, tell them that I am sent you. That I am is the Hebrew word, the tetragrammaton, Yahweh, Y-W-H-W. Y-H-W-H, I'm sorry. My Old Testament professor wouldn't be happy right now. Y-H-W-H. The other divine name of God is Elohim. And that is more the general name of God that reflects His majesty and His power and the awesomeness of God. And it captures the idea that God has no limits. He is limitless. He is infinite. He is eternal. And believing in God and that He created the universes is just not for the person of average intelligence. Believing that God created the universe is is just not for those who are considered to be weak. And the thought that only uneducated people believe in God as creator is a myth as many of the world's greatest thinkers and scientists not only believe God exists, but that He created the universe and everything in it. Dr. Robert Jastrow, founder and former director of the Goddard Institute for Space Studies at NASA, He wrote in his book, God and the Astronomers, he said this, The astronomical evidence supports the biblical view of the origin of the world. The essential elements in the astronomical and biblical accounts of Genesis are the same. 
He said the, all the facts of astronomy, all the evidence of astronomy, all the astronomical evidence and the biblical accounts of creation and the book of Genesis are exactly the same. There is no difference. Why don't we hear quotes like this and about people like this in the news media? You know why? Because it does not fit the world's narrative. The world wants us to believe that God doesn't exist. The world wants us to believe that God's word does not matter. And to believe that God created the world and all of humanity has some, some significant implications. It means that, only, that not only is God true, but His word is true. And if God's word is true, then Jesus is the only way to be forgiven of our sin and have a relationship with God. If God's word is true, it means that Jesus is the only truth. It means Jesus is the only way. It means Jesus is the only life. It means that Jesus is the only answer to sin. It means there's a heaven and a hell. It means that anything that goes against God's word is immoral and sinful. And we are accountable to him. Instead of living how we want to live, we are to live how God calls us to live. And that's what the world does not want to hear. You see, whether or not we believe in God as creator affects how we view our life. It affects how we view others. It affects how we live our life. And it affects our eternal destination. If there is no God, there is no purpose for our existence. If there is no creator God, this is the best it gets. If there is no creator God, there are no unchanging moral standards. If there is no creator God, we can live like we choose and we are accountable to no one. If there's no creator God, when we die, we are dead. You see, believing in God is creator. Believing in God is, and trusting Him as Savior, it changes everything in your life now and in your life to come. You see, as we saw last week and the week before, there's overwhelming evidence that points to God as the who that was responsible for the creation of the universe. And John Glenn, who was a former astronaut and senator, he spoke about his view of the earth from the space shuttle Discovery, said this. He said, to look out the window, as I did that first day, to look out at this kind of creation and not believe in God is to me impossible. By making that statement, John Glenn affirmed Isaiah 45, 12, where God said, I am the one who made the earth and created people to live on it. With my hands, I stretched out the heavens. All the stars are at my command. When it comes to who created the universe, there's only one answer, and that answer is God. You know, Psalm 14, 1 says, Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. There's a story of an atheist who was walking through the woods. He was admiring all the accidents that evolution had created. He was saying to him, what majestic trees, what powerful rivers, what beautiful mountains, what, what incredible animals. And as he was walking along the side of the river, he heard a rustling in the bushes behind him. He turned to look and he saw a seven-foot grizzly bear charging towards him. He ran as fast as he could away from the grizzly bear. He looked over his shoulder and he still saw the grizzly bear approaching him.
And the, ran, the faster he ran, the faster the grizzly bear, or the quicker the biz, grizzly bear was getting to him. He was so scared that tears came to his eyes. His heart was pounding. He tried to run faster, but he tripped and fell to the ground. He rolled over to pick himself up, but the bear was standing over him. And reaching for him with its left paw and raising its right paw to strike him, at the instant the atheist cried, Oh, God, help! Time stopped. The bear froze. The forest was silent. The river stopped moving. A bright light shone from the sky upon the man, and a voice said, You deny my existence for all these years. You teach others I don't exist and even credit creation to a cosmic accident. Do you expect me to help you out in this time of trouble? Am I to count you as a believer? The atheist looked directly into the light and said, I would feel like a hypocrite to become a Christian after all these years. But perhaps you can make the bear a Christian. Very well, said the voice. The light went out. Nature went back to what it was doing. The rivers ran. The animals began making sounds. The bear dropped his right paw. He brought both paws together, bowed his head, and said, Lord, I'm truly thankful for the food which I'm about to receive. <laughs> Be careful what you ask for. You see, to not believe in the existence of God, to deny God as creator, it's dangerous, it's foolish, and it's downright deadly. As one who denies the evidence of a creator is writing their own death sentence. The creation of the earth happened just as Genesis 1-1 said it did. In the beginning, the earth was formless. The earth was without void. And in six literal 24 hours days, God created the universe at his command. And Genesis 1 is a picture of the one true God as the creator and the sustainer of the universe and of life itself. Remember, science will never disprove God's existence. It's going to only prove it. And evolution will never replace creation as the, universe, as the reason the universe exists because it can't. Because the only reason that the universe exists, the only reason that we are here, is because God is the one who created. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you right now and we just thank you so much for your truth. God, we thank you so much for your word. And God, I wonder how often have we read Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and then simply went by it, not thinking about the implications of that verse. Father, there's so much in that verse that we need to think about and reflect on. And Father, we know that you are the one that caused the universe to existence. Father, you are the one who placed everything here in the order that it's placed. And Father, we are the reason, or we are the reason that we are, you are the reason that we are here as well. And Father, I pray that we would understand, God, it does matter what we think about what the beginning was. Because, Father, what we believe about the beginning sets the tone for the rest of our theology. Father, you made it very clear that sin did not enter the world until after man sinned. And God, for us to, to believe anything different is to, is to not trust you, to not trust your word. God, to not believe in a sixth 
day literal creation, Father. Lord, is to say that there are some things that you might not can do. But God, we know that you can do anything and nothing is impossible for you. And Father, may we remember that you are our creator and there is none like you. And Father, I pray as we go through our days and through our lives that we would not allow the world to speak authority and truth into our life, but we would allow your spirit and your word to speak truth into our life this morning. And Father, if there's one here who does not know you, I pray today would be their day of salvation. Father, maybe there's someone here who has doubted your existence. I pray this morning, God, that you've spoken to them through your spirit, God, and you've convicted them that you do exist, that you are real, and they need to to turn to you for salvation as Jesus is the only way. And for us who know you this morning, God, may we truly believe that you are the God of the Bible. You are who you say you are. And may we understand, Father, what we believe about creation affects the rest of everything else we do and what we believe. And God, you're an awesome God. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us Jesus so we can have a relationship with you. Father, just work in our hearts and our lives this morning. And Father, we thank you for your truth. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.